Well, good morning. How are you guys feeling? You're sounding good. Man, I'm so glad to be here. I've been praying for this church since before it was a church, uh, watching uh, Lorenzo and the team just kind of go through the different, you know, wrestling. Should we go plant in the west side? I told them, don't do it. Planting churches hurts. Um, don't do it, Lorenzo. You know how ministry goes. He says, but I, we want to reach people. And, and uh, being here this morning is just uh, a blessing to me to see how those who venture out to go and touch people's lives are rewarded and uh, to see your smiling faces and all the people I've met so far. It's just it's amazing. God is cool, man. Amen? That's in the book of First Africans chapter 2. God is cool. I am African-American. Uh, in that I was born in Southeast Africa, and I came to America when I was eight years old. So what that means, being African-American in my context, means that at any time during this message, I can switch on the African very quickly. It can be mid-sentence, and you'll be listening to me, and I'll be like, my people, my friends, you need to listen to me this morning. Because when I speak with an accent, people listen. So it can happen just like that. So, But... Um, uh, Came to America when I was eight years old, and I grew up in a small town called Berrien Springs, Michigan. Anybody ever heard of it? Exactly. <laughs> Our claim to fame is that Muhammad Ali lived down the street from my parents' house. And so we would see Muhammad Ali running around and driving his Rolls Royce. It was the only Rolls Royce for 500 miles, you know. But um, uh, So that Berrien Springs, small little town, 3,000 people. Uh, when my parents uh, brought us to America, I was promised that Mike, I would see Michael Jackson and all these things. All I saw was white people in Berrien Springs. I was like the only African family around. And then later on, other Africans showed up, and it was kind of weird and awkward. Like, okay, um, uh, almost every other African became your, like your uncle. Okay, ethnic people know what I'm talking about. That is your uncle. <laughs> so now whenever I see Africans, I'm like, are we related? But I want to talk to you about some, some things this morning concerning uh, what's been happening around this country the last couple of years or three years or so. Some people would say that uh, we, are at the, the, uh, we are more divided than we ever have been. If you watch the news, if you follow social media, if you uh, or have a pulse if you're alive. People are saying that we're divided, that, that, that people are, 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 are clamoring to their own tribes like never before. And, and social media is blamed. And social media is one of those tools that's brought us together, and it's as if it's brought us together to show us how divided we truly are. And if you want to see division, just visit a church. If you want to see politics, don't, 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 don't turn Fox News on or, or CNBC or whatever it is that you watch. Just go to a church. You'll see some politics. If you want to experience racism, just go visit a church somewhere in the Midwest. Not here. Not here in West L.A. If you want to see divided people, divided groups, go to a church. It's as if it's part of our DNA, and, and, and a few weeks ago, someone asked me, they said, uh, when is the church going to have a response to all the division? When's the church going to uh, issue a response? And, and I thought about it, and I prayed about it, and it struck me that the church is the response to racism. Because Jesus said in, in the book of John, he says, listen, I, I am going to give the world, I'm going to give the world the, 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 the license to prove that you're truly my disciples. And the way that they'll prove that, that you're truly my disciples is how you love each other. Not how much theology you know. 
Not how much Calvinism, Arminianism you can uh, articulate. Not how much end time prophecy or or, or, uh, charts you can come up with. He wants you are going to show the world that you love the world, that that you are his disciples by how you love each other. And sometimes as as church people, we don't love each other very well because what I've discovered about the church is that church consists of people. People. I hate people. (laughs) I've lived almost 40 years and I've come to realize that people suck at times. People that, the closer you get to people, the more people start sucking. I've been married 10 years almost, and next year will be 10 years. And and the first, you know, when we were dating, everything was cute. You know, like, oh, that's cute. She's like, you know, you snore a little bit when you're taking that. Oh, it's kind of cute. Now that we're married, it's like, I I can't stand your snoring. (laughs) People. And I'll say that the church is the response to all this division that we're seeing around us. But when it comes to people, when it comes to loving your neighbor, I, I, Jesus says, make statements like that, and, and I immediately turn into a lawyer. I immediately become Jonathan Belima, Esquire, attorney at law, because I, I want to, to know who it is that you're, you're, you're referring to when you talk about neighbors. Uh, recently, one of my neighbors moved, moved from across the street. They, they moved to somewhere else, and the first thing I started to think is, who's going to move in next? Are their kids going to be good kids or bad kids? Because if they're bad kids, I don't want them in my neighborhood. Are they going to take care of their lawn? Because I don't want my property value to go down. I'm, I'm very, very nervous about who my neighbor's going to be. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We can be honest with you. We're in church. Yeah. Let's be honest with each other, right? And my neighbor on, on the right-hand side has, has dogs. Dogs. And, and one day I was talking to him. He's like, yeah, you guys have such cute kids. And, and he goes, oh, my kids are my dogs. I'm like, damn right they're your kids. They're not kids because my kids will never scream loud enough to wake up your dogs at 3 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) But your dogs wake up my kids all the time. There have been times I've been gun shopping for you. about loving your neighbors because we want to define who is my neighbor. There's there's a story found in Luke chapter 10. I'm sure you guys have the notes and you've been reading about this. And and, and it it goes like this. It says in Luke chapter 10 verse 25, it says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and with your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself. Ooh, sounds like a very religious person. Desiring to, we like to justify ourselves and judge others. Amen, somebody. If you can't say amen, just say alchaluya. <laughs> Second Africans chapter 3. Shows up there somewhere. We like to justify ourselves while we judge others. So him seeking to, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who exactly is my neighbor? The story that we're going to get into is called the story of the Good Samaritan, which is an oxymoronic term because um, uh, for a Jewish person, there was no such thing as a Good Samaritan. A Samaritan is a Samaritan. 
There was no such thing as a good Samaritan. As a matter of fact, to insult Jesus, to insult Jesus, one time uh, uh, the Jews called him a Samaritan. When, when he, at the woman at the well, there's a story about, about Jesus um, uh, being at, at this well, and, and he's thirsty, and, there, and a woman shows up uh, who's Samaritan, and Jesus starts speaking to her, and, and the woman's like, what you talking about, Louis? You're not supposed, your people do not talk to us. Those were the types of divisions. And so, so this, this, this young lawyer says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives this story. He says, let me tell you, Jesus is so cool, man. When, when people are trying to trap Jesus, when people are trying to insult Jesus, confront Jesus, instead of like, you know, getting all defensive, he tells a story. How about, what if you just told stories next time someone got all up in your face? Like, oh, let me tell you a little story. <laughs> let me tell you a little parable. And so Jesus said, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the, the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest, a priest, and, and just to be keep it simple, the priest is, is representing the holy people. The holy people. Now, now to, the, to the lawyer, a priest is the type of person that you want to move next door to you. I've got a priest as a neighbor. That's my neighbor. He says, a priest was, was, was walking by, and, and when he came to the place where this man who was injured was, he saw the situation, and he went and he crossed on the other side because religious people will only do good acts when it's convenient for them and when they can take credit for something good. He went and passed on the other side. So he goes on and says, so likewise, a Levite, a Levite. Now, now when, he, when, when Jesus uh, describes this man as a, as a Levite, what Jesus is saying is that a very orthodox person, someone whose theology is intact, someone that, that you know, when you need some, you know, spiritual tech support or something, and you're like, you know, I need some, some, some tech support for this Bible, you call up a Levite. A Levite shows up, and the Levite does the very same thing. He sees the situation, but does not act very neighborly. And so, to kind of dig deeper into the man, Jesus continues the story. He says, but a Samaritan. Now, right there, it's got, I have this, like, you know, imagination. Like, you know, I, I like to, like, put pictures and motion pictures to the words of Scripture. And I have, like, this idea of, like, you know, Jesus says, but a Samaritan. At that point, the Lord is like, what? But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion? Samaritans have compassion? You know what happens whenever we, de we, we um, uh, want to hate people groups and, and people that, that have different culture who like their salsa a little bit spicier than ours or their curries and all that? The way that we like to, to, to um, uh, 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 make them uh, hateable is we like to dehumanize them by not making it seem as if they have actual emotions. Compassion? A Samaritan had compassion? Saw him and had compassion on him. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Sounds like he gave a little offering. Amen. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? When I have to deal with people, which exactly, which people are my neighbors? The ones that, 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 that vote like me, the ones that think like me, the ones that listen to the same type of hip-hop that I listen to, not this mumble stuff that's happening. I can't even understand it. If you want to be my neighbor, you need to be listening to a tribe called Quest. Something from the old school where rap was real. We want people, as a matter of fact, I, I, I did a study of um, uh, gang culture some years ago. Because growing up in Bering Springs, uh, would listen to groups like NWA. Anybody ever heard of them? Amen. Amen. So I, I was very fascinated with, with gangs. And, and what, what I've discovered about gang culture is that you'll never go to a gang-infested neighborhood and find diversity. You'll never go to a gang-infested neighborhood and say, oh, across the street there's a crip, and over there there's a blood, and we have some Latin kings on, on this corner over here. No, that neighborhood is for people like them who wear the same colors, who have the same signs. Are y'all with me? Yeah. Is, is this y'all? Yeah. And, and, and it's as if even in the church sometimes we, we, we like to um, uh, invite people who, who look like us, talk like us, think like us, vote like us, and the moment someone that is different shows up, we're a little bit bothered. I was driving down the street in Riverside, and uh, I came to the, there's a street in Riverside called Victoria Avenue, which is the dumbest street in the entire city. More accidents happen on Victoria Avenue than any other street in Riverside, that's just my statistic, no one else's. <laughs> because it's not like a four-way, there's not, not four-way um, uh, cross streets, whatever. It's like eight ways, because the street's like, it's like this wannabe roundabout, but it's not a roundabout type of thing happening. So people always just kind of get confused because they don't know who has the right of way. So I'm at the stop sign, and I'm trying to cross, and this truck is on the, on, on, on the right, left-hand side, and I'm like, you go ahead. And the man in the truck is like, you go ahead. So I'm like, no, I'm a Christian pastor. This is my opportunity to serve Jesus and serve others right now. You go ahead. And no, he looks at me, he's like, you go ahead. Finally, I'm like, okay then, I'll go. <laughs> and I turned. When I did that, he started following me. So here I am in my rearview mirror. I'm listening to NWA. It's a Tuesday, and Tuesday's when I listen to NWA. Because <laughs> Monday I have the after preaching blues, and Tuesday I'm trying to get myself back to that, you know, gangster pastor role. Ro. <laughs> so here I am listening to Ice Cube, 1989, gangster, gangster. I have two 10 inch 
subwoofers in my trunk that my wife has no idea about. <laughs> Don't tell her. So the car is like, here's a little something about a brother like me. Never should have been let out the penitentiary. Ice Cube will like, and I'm looking in the rear view mirror, I'm like, Ice Cube will like to say that I'm a crazy from around the way. And the guy still follow. He's like on my bumper. So I pull over. I'm like, oh, he wants some of this, huh? He wants some of this. So I pull over. And he gets out of his truck. I see him getting out of his truck. And I pop my trunk. And I open my door. So I start walking. And now my trunk is kind of like going up, you know? And he sees my trunk. Go I have nothing in my trunk except for the, you know, the subs. And as I'm walking towards him, the Lord speaks to me, Negro. What are you doing? That's how he speaks to me. He may not speak to you that way, but he's like, Negro, stop. And I'm like, oh, what? that's right. This music is influencing me right now. So I look at the man like, Mira, no, no. We're friends. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Here I was, ready to pretend like I was going to jack this guy for following me. Now, what this has to do with the scripture, there's nothing. I just wanted to share that story and confess <laughs> that, that it happened. But sometimes the way we treat people, the way that, that people who come into our lives, we, I mean, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I, I, I tried to give him the right away, but I had to deal with him. And, and, and is this a person that I'd want to have in my life after this interaction or not? Who is my neighbor? The text says that this man is journeying from Jerusalem, going down to Jericho. Jerusalem sits about 2,500 feet above sea level, whereas Jericho is 400 feet above sea level. So it's literally a downward journey. I've been to Jerusalem. I've been to Jericho a few years ago. And what, one thing that that's stood out to me is that the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, even though we've had thousands of years of technology, is a very dark road. There are many places where an ambush could take place. There's many places where, where something can go down, places where you could get jumped. Have you ever been jumped before? I've, I've been jumped like three times in my life. Never enjoyable. One time it happened on Halloween. It's the worst thing to be jumped by people in masks. Traumatizing. And then you find out it's your friends. Like, what kind of friends are these? <laughs> Who did this to me? It says that the man is journeying down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers. Now, I, 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 I used to watch the Jesus movies. Anybody watch the Jesus movies? You know, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist. That meant that like from Friday to Saturday sundown, we couldn't watch anything unless it was religious. So we watched a lot of Jesus movies. I've seen some very bad Jesus movies. I've hardly seen any good ones, but that's a whole nother story. But I remember in, my, in the Jesus movies, you know, that you see this man by himself walking and people hiding behind the rocks. We're going to get him now. Then he gets ambushed. And it's like a sanitary ambush. It's like, you know, the man's just laying there. And it's like, that man did not get beat up that bad. We have this idea that this man is traveling by himself. But if you dig deeper into the text, it says that he fell among robbers. He fell among robbers. Uh, meaning that, that it's, it's very likely more realistic that the man 
moved himself into a group of people that he thought he could travel with who he could trust. Because he perceived and, and knew that going to Jer Jericho from Jerusalem was a dangerous journey, a dangerous path. He fell among robbers. Have you ever been around someone that you thought you could trust and they end up stealing from you? He fell among robbers. Throughout my life, I've found some very, very nice thieves. There are nice thieves out there. Some thieves are in your own family. Amen, somebody. Some, some, thieves, some thieves you dated and almost married them. Didn't listen to your pastor when he said, don't date people from Craigslist, but you did it anyway. I've met some scripture-quoting thieves, some Bible-thumping thieves. Any person that takes that more value from you than they input into your life is a thief. People who rob you of your potential, rob you of your capacity, Rob you of your emotional health. Rob you of your future. I remember coming to America. I was in third grade when I came. I entered third grade. And uh, my third grade teacher, Mrs. Crapsey, because she was full of Crapsey, <laughs> labeled me a Jamaican kid and Tim Chandler from Chicago and Rudy Bagley from Detroit as the four bad boys. Now, you guys are the four bad boys. There was something unique about the four of us that was different than the other students, though we were the bad boys. And because I was learning English, there was always a three-second delay when you asked me a question because I was interpreting it back into my own language and then giving the answer back into uh, English. And so it was like, okay, she's asking me what's nine times nine, and I'm in my language figuring it out. Those of you who are bilingual understand what I'm talking about, right? And so she started labeling me doofus. She said, you'll never be good at English. And here I am in the third grade in a new country, and she's stolen from me at an early age. All kinds of thieves in our life who will strip you, beat you, abandon you, and then you find out that you're in your 30s or your 20s, and you're supposed to be living life, but instead you're half dead because you fell among thieves. This is a reality for all of us. When you look at this, don't, don't, don't just look at the man as, as being the single person who fell among thieves. Understand that if you're born in this planet, you have fallen among thieves. Family members, boyfriends, husbands, wives, co-workers, Thieves. It says that they beat him. They stripped him. And then they departed, leaving him half dead. Leaving him on the roadside, dead. I, 
I read this and I, I ask myself, why would, why would a thief also commit assault? Couldn't they have just taken his stuff and, and left him? Sometimes the worst events happen to you when your life is going in a transition. When you're in transition, you're, you're more susceptible to attack. When you're trying to get from point A to point B, you're, you're susceptible to the enemy's attack to, to come and steal and kill that which the, the, the Lord has for you. Are you all with me this morning? In, in Riverside and in San Bernardino, in the Inland Empire, rather, uh, there we have homeless people. I don't know if you guys have that here in West L.A. And, and one day I was driving down the street on Magnolia Avenue, and I saw the strangest thing. Like, I had to actually stop the car and observe this for a while. I would lie to you and tell you that I was concerned at first, but I wasn't. I was just jealous. I saw a man on the sidewalk near a busy street sleeping in the middle of the day. All of his belongings were lying around him, and here he, I mean, he was having that good sleep. I have three kids. You saw the kids, four, two, and one. I don't sleep. I don't sleep. I, I'm jealous of your rest. Like my only wish is, Lord, can I have a nap? A good nap? And this man is laying on the, ro on the roadside, like, like completely knocked out, like that good sleep, belly hanging out. You know you're sleeping good when you don't even care what, you know, people see you. Belly's hanging out. He's got drool coming out of his mouth. And I'm like, my God, man, this man is getting some good sleep. And people are just walking by like nothing has happened. And so, like I said, I'd lie to you and tell you that I was concerned for his safety. I was just more jealous that he was sleeping. And I sat there and I watched. I was like, is he okay? He's okay. It seems as if he does this all the time, and people around him are completely aware of what he's doing, and they're not bothered. All of his belongings around him, and it dawned on me. No one steals from people that they perceive are valueless. The only reason why no one was robbing him or assaulting him is because they perceive that he's homeless. He has nothing that we want. If you ever feel attacked, if you ever feel as if there are things that are pulling at your life, things that are trying to, to withdraw from you, if you ever feel as if the devil is, is, is just on your back and you're, you're experiencing all this turmoil, all this torment, you have to understand that sometimes the, the, the only reason why uh, uh, the enemy will try to attack you so hard or, or people will try to attack you so hard is because they perceive value in your life and they seek to come and steal, kill, and destroy that which is within you already. You have value. Here's this man. He's been stripped, beaten, abandoned, and left half dead. In 
in the Jesus movies is very sanitary, but I want you to kind of picture a person who's laying in a desert road. The buzzards and the vultures are circling about waiting for his last breath so they can devour his flesh. The, the, the flies and the critters are crawling about his body as he's gasping for every piece of life that he still has as he lays there wondering when the moment will come that he'll breathe his last. And right there, he hears footsteps. Perhaps in, in my sanctified imagination, may, maybe the priest had priestly robes that, that he could hear dragging on the, on the ground. And I don't know if he heard anything or if he perceived the type of person that was approaching. But when he hears the footsteps, perhaps his heartbeat and his pulse picks up a little bit because now he sees that maybe someone can come and actually help. And the worst thing that can happen to a person is when you steal them, when you rob them of hope. When you rob hope from them. They said that they would have my back. They said that this was a sure thing. They said that I could trust them. They said that they were going to be there for me. And, and then when the time comes, they're missing in action. They're gone. And all that you hope for is completely withdrawn. The hope that you had is bankrupt. He lays there. The buzzards and the vultures are circling the flies the ants in a pool of his own blood and he hears more steps and nothing what i've found about those of us who've lost something those of us who've who've been taken advantage of is that sometimes when you lose something you're so busy being preoccupied by what you've lost. And you miss looking at what God still has for you. If you find yourself at this stage in life where you feel as if you're half dead, if you're half dead, that tells me that you have some life left in you. Are y'all with me this morning? There's still some life ahead. If, 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 they've, if, the de if, if the devil or if God removed it from your life and it's gone, stop embracing that which is already gone and start looking to what God has ahead of you. Don't be distracted by what you've lost. The scripture tells me that Jesus doesn't work with whole things. He works with fragments. Are y'all with me this morning? Oh, you got to speak back at me. I'm a black preacher and <laughs> living in a...
Jesus works with the fragments, the small pieces. He doesn't have a whole thing of anything in order to make something out of it. If you look at your life and you find yourself that, that this is, oh, woe is me. Look at all the things that have been taken from me. Oh, no, God still has something. If you still have a pulse, if you are still a, uh, breathing, if you, if you still have a twinkle in your eye, God still has something for you, and you just need to stand in that position and stop looking at yourself and what you've lost and look to God. And what he has ahead of, ahead of you. Man waited. And waited. Text says, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. A Samaritan came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. After being attacked by thieves, after being attacked by hope, a Samaritan shows up and has compassion. I, 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 love, I love the Bible because I think that God is so cool in the way he put it together. Almost every passage, every parable, every illustration, everything points us to the gospel. Amen. Oh, I wish I had a black man on organ right now because we can have church right now. <laughs> Almost everything in Scripture is about what Jesus does. It says a Samaritan shows up out of nowhere as he's on his own agenda, his own journey. He shows up and he saw him and he comes to where he was. He does not wait for the Samaritan, for the man who's injured to come to where he is, but rather, just like Jesus did not wait for you to ascend to a level of goodness, a level of, of, of virtue, but rather shows up where you are in your dead condition, in your stripped con condition, in your beat up, busted, disgusted condition, and has compassion on you. He doesn't look at you and say, oh, I want to save you, I want to love on you because you're so witty and you're so cute and you have 500 friends on Facebook and 2,000 followers on Instagram. I think that you're fit for the kingdom. No, he finds you in your lowest condition and he says, I love you with an endless love and I want you. He says he showed up and had compassion. He saw him. Has, it, has anybody ever felt as if somebody saw them? Like really saw them? says he saw him and had compassion. This reminds me of a time when Jesus was, was about to feed the 5,000. Remember that story? Uh, he was about to feed 5,000 people, and they were hungry, and, and the disciples were like, you know, Jesus, you've been preaching way too long. You've been teaching about the kingdom, and it's all cool. These people are, are, are like, you know, like uh, sitting on the edge of their seats if they had seats back then. But we're, we're hungry. We, we want them to go away because those of us who serve in the church professionally, we sometimes just want the crowds to go <laughs> so that we can go do our thing. And so one of the disciples is like, well, you know what? If you go tell him that, that the people are, are hungry, he cares about the people. Don't tell him that we're hungry. Tell him that the people are hungry. Maybe he'll stop preaching. <laughs> so they had a vote. Like, you know, who should go tell him? You go tell him. So one of the disciples goes up to him and says, Jesus, um, listen, the people are hungry. Maybe you should just wrap it up <laughs> and send them home. And the text tells us that he said he looked at them and had compassion. He saw them and had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Man, God is awesome. 
He doesn't wait for us to come up to him. He doesn't wait for us to, to fix ourselves up, to, to clean up our wounds, to, to, to be more sanitary. To, 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 he doesn't wait for the vultures and the buzzards to go away when it's more convenient. He comes to where we are in our condition. Has compassion anyhow. Just that the Samaritan saw him and had compassion, he, he went to him bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. I, I do this thing where I like to date my scriptures. That's what I call it. Like, I'll just look at the scripture and I'm like, hmm, what do you have to, for me today, honey? Tell me everything. You need to date the scriptures. Come on, somebody. Get yourself a nice adult beverage and just sit there and look at it. That's what I like to do. I don't know about Pastor Lorenzo or Pastor Casey, but I like to have a nice adult beverage Sprite <laughs> mixed with lemon juice and other things. <laughs> just date the scriptures. I was looking at the scriptures one day. I'm just, I was dating the scripture. He says, he bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. I'm like, oil and wine. I'm like, that, Jesus could have just said he, he cleaned them up. He could have just said he cleaned up his wounds. But, but he says that, that Jesus says that the Samaritan came and poured oil and wine. And as I'm sitting there dating the scripture, I'm like, oil and wine. Where else does oil and wine, what does it represent in scripture? The oil, the spirit, and, and the wine sometimes is referred to blood. Oh my gosh, the healing that takes place in people's lives is the spirit's job to do it. And also the blood of the lamb that is poured on. You want to see how we heal people? Go with the Spirit. Pour some wine. Pour some of that blood of Jesus on them and see how they heal up. Yeah. Just pouring oil and wine. Then set him on his own animal and brought him to an end. He says he set him on his own own animal. And, and I know that you may not see this, but like as I'm dating the scripture, I'm just imagining this Samaritan as he's journeying. I don't know if he's on a camel or a, a horse or a donkey. I have no idea what it is that he traveled on. But obviously, he, came, he dismounted from his high position and came to a low position in order to lift up someone who was less than him and put him on his own animal, sort of like how Christ descends, picks you up. And set you on his own place. Are y'all with me this morning? And took him to the innkeeper. Took him to the innkeeper. Fixed him up and took him into the inn. And text says that the next day he, uh, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay when you when you come back, can I park right there for just a second? I didn't get any permission, but I'll do it anyways. Amen. <laughs> we have this thing in church where, in churchianity, where we expect people to come here healed. We expect people to come here looking good, wearing their Banana Republic shirt, their Nordstrom jeans. The reality is that the church is a place where people 
show up in our inn half dead. It's not all the way dead. But we've, we've built this culture in the church of, of drive-by salvation. Where you show up, you're saved, and you're good by the time you pay your tithe on the way out. We've built this culture where, where we wear masks of our goodness. I saw a meme when I was doing, um, I was studying human behavior on Instagram the other day. <laughs> when I can't get to Walmart, I just go on Instagram, like, let's see what the people of God are doing. <laughs> I saw this meme, it said, um, uh, if God was to start giving out Oscars, how many Christians would win? And I liked it, I was like, I would. I'd, I'd, I'd like be like the most decorated Oscar winner ever. Because we show up with masks. How are you doing this morning? Praise be. <laughs> God is so good. Depending on which cultural context. I, I grew up in a church where, where you ask someone, how are you doing this morning? They'll answer like this, giving honor to God who's the head of my life. I'd like to thank the Lord for being here today. He woke me up this morning and he started me on my way. Wonderfully well and blessed and highly favored of the Lord. I made up a song for it. <laughs> Wonderfully well and blessed and highly favored of the Lord is the Christian response to every, how are you doing today? Wonderfully well and blessed and highly favored of the Lord. <laughs> like, my God. Inside my heart, I'm like, um, I never feel that way. <laughs> I'm wonderfully stressed <laughs> and judged by the Lord. <laughs> What if we started a trend where, where we were honest about our true condition because God cannot heal what you don't reveal? We come into the end, the church. Everybody comes in half dead. And those of us who are mature have to be mature enough to know that I will give two denarii in advance because this new person that just walked in they're not there yet. Are y'all with me? I, I, hey, the, 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 the Samaritan said to the innkeeper, the pastor, Pastor, I've brought in this wounded person. Take care of them. And next week when I show up at church again, I'll give more. Hello, somebody. I know it was, it's not supposed to be a giving message, but they gave me clear instructions. Do not beat them over about giving. Last time somebody came and talked about giving, we lost half the church. He <laughs> says, whatever more you need, take care of this man. Whatever more you need, when I come back, I will repay you. We need to understand that the church, as we gather, some folks are coming here in an ambulance. They look good. They talk good. But people will show up to church for three reasons. They're in trouble, in transition, or going through turmoil. I'm always surprised by people who show up at our church for the first time. I'm like, 
How'd you get here? Oh, I just saw, I saw something on Facebook. And then you go a little bit deeper. Yeah, I just got out of a really bad relationship, and I figured I should come back to church. Oh, I just got divorced. Oh, we just lost our home. Oh, our, our teenage son is going crazy. He's, he's on meth and Molly. When we take the mask off, we realize that we show up at the end half dead. Innkeepers. Samaritan. Half dead people. Collective church, you've been called to minister on the Jericho Road. Ministry does not take place in sanitary places. It takes place in stinky places. Finding people who are in a bloody mess of their sin. Having a heart that's willing to dismount and have my schedule and my journey interrupted because I'm not religious, you're not religious, you're not doing it because it's convenient for you, you're not doing it because others may be watching and can get some good Snapchat footage of you living out your faith. But having the heart of the Samaritan which is truly the heart of Jesus. When I think of the church, the church is the response. Who is my neighbor? The lawyer asks. And Jesus says, the church is my response. How will they know that you're part of my church? How you love one another. Not how you find religious loopholes as to who you can love, who you can serve. The church is to be a church, a people that consists of half-dead people who are being brought in by mature people who are Samaritans. And bringing them to the place where they're innkeepers. The innkeeper is not just the pastor. The innkeeper could be the parking lot attendant, the person who opens up their home for a neighborhood dinner, the person who serves in kids' ministry. All of you are innkeepers. What is the church's response to all the division that we see around the world? It's not us issuing a statement with the network of churches that we've, we're a part of. It's you and I. Being on mission as ministers of reconciliation. And as we journey down the Jericho Road, we stop for the wounded, the hurting, the broken, the bloody messes. And just like Jesus, we have compassion that only comes from Jesus. We see people through the eyes of Jesus. And we get down from our position. 
and lift people up and bring them into our community. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you.